And I'm really excited today. Oh, by the way, Julia's off today. It's just me, unfortunately. Um, but we have a great guest. Her name is Barbara Peterson, and she is our head advocate for hospice nursing. And she is going to come on and talk a little bit about herself, her background, her new book that is all about hospice. And um, we're going to talk hospice and palliative care today. She's a wealth of knowledge, and we're really excited that she's part of our advocate network and here to tell us about her brand new book. Hi, hey, Barb. Thank you very much for having me on. This is a wonderful opportunity to do what I did for the reason to write the book is to get the information out there to people before they need it. Because we have learned through being hospice nurses that so much of it is a mystery. And after you learn about it, you feel comfortable the next time. But there haven't been too many books out like mine that tell the actual processes involved. So about me, I am Barbara Peterson. I have been a nurse since 1971, a Loyola University grad. And I live, I've always lived in the Chicago area, went to Loyola, as I said. Um, I have a background as a Hawaiian and I have learned Hawaiian ancient healings or using earth, air, fire, and water. Um, it's called Hawaiian elemental healing. And I've been doing that for 20 years and exploring my family, my culture, my genealogy. And I've actually been able to use the Hawaiian healing for many patients at their end of life, figuring out which one of the elements they need at that time to help them settle down. I've had multiple episodes where the patient was restless and by giving the element of earth surrounding them, it calmed them down and they never needed another dose of lorazepam within 24 hours of dying. So there's, it's, a, it's an excellent opportunity to learn about myself and yourself if you'd like to learn about it. Um, and nursing, I, I've thoroughly enjoyed being a nurse. I have mostly stayed in Chicago, but I even went out to the Frontier County in Colorado for six years and was a public health nurse. And I've always been in chronic care, so it's been rehab and psych and public health and home health and hospice. Um, the hospice came in my elder years, elder years, and I've been doing it for over 20 years now, since the year 2000. So it's been um, something that I actually had to go put myself back into school, self-taught many things, because I had not done med surge nursing. You know, how everybody has said, go to med surge nursing first out of school, and then you can pick your specialty. I did that, but the last time I worked in a hospital on a med surge unit was 1971. <laughs> <laughs> Ever since then, it's been working with families, working in the chronic care arena with rehabilitation, um, psych, and then the public health nurse, 
what a joy that was. I mean, I had to give vaccinations, which is a shame. I didn't. That is actually the time period in the 1990s where I learned the hazards of vaccinations. But in order to meet with the people where they needed to meet in this remote community, I was sometimes giving a shot in the parking lot of a mm. health center because the the kid was too afraid to come in. So the mom mm. would hold him and I would come by and I would greet him. And then with my left hand, I would. So the kind of resourcefulness and um, that, that, that drives chronic care because you have to get to know the family. You have to know where to come from to administer um, the holistic areas for teaching and using resources within the home when you aren't in a hospital and you don't have other people to depend on. We really have to learn a lot and be relied upon in a moment's notice in a crisis and not just necessarily be able to call somebody for help. Um, the med search part of it, I actually went to the computer and learned a lot about all the illnesses so that I could have some idea what their process was when they became terminal. Um, it took me three to four years before I was comfortable in an on-call situation without any doubts knowing what to do. I think a new nurse would not have that much time spent being uncertain, but a new nurse meaning someone who had more med surge experience. So my nursing background has really provided me a lot of opportunities and I've enjoyed every bit of the flexibility of being a nurse. Um, in this last year, two years, two and a half years since retiring, I'm one of the people who retired because I refused to take the shots. And um, I de decided somebody hired me to take care of their family member, educate them about hospice, and then take care of them at the time of death. And I thought, well, maybe I could be hired out as a consultant or an educator. So I wrote to many places, churches, senior centers, and libraries, and out of 21 letters, nobody took me up on the idea of meeting people and coming there to have a Q&A and answer questions about hospice. But before I gave up on that idea, I was writing chapters of presentations. I was writing, I'll have to talk about this topic and then that topic. And pretty soon, instead of just a short little outline like a 30-minute elevator speech could be, I was writing paragraphs and they became pages. And it occurred to me that I've begun writing a book. So the, the joy of it was in recognizing, number one, I liked the way I was writing. <laughs> number two, I was interested in what I was writing. Number three, I felt totally confident about the material. And it became an adventure to be creative in how I presented the material such as the Demystifying Hospice is the name of the book. And um, the very, in the very beginning, in the introduction, I want to dispel many, a couple of myths that are, they, are, they haunt us. They haunt people because of the misunderstandings. So the very first one, of course, is about morphine. And what I do in this place, in this part of the chapter is, they gave the morphine and then, and there's a whole list of possibilities that that person endured, encountered, went through because they're unconscious. They're in the dying process. We don't know. And then they died. And 
in 20 years, there have been many, many different kinds of scenarios that presented themselves for us to explain to families. Please don't be afraid of morphine. And, and I so really feel like there is a huge fear around morphine because of its abuse during COVID in the ERs and in the ICUs that mm. people are standoffish to use it in hospice because they think it will it's there to kill the patient and get them out. Yes. So I think that's great what you're doing with the morphine. Thank you. Yeah, and, and it, it, it upset me in the very beginning being educated beautifully by nurses in Evanston, Illinois, doctors in Evanston, Illinois, we became the teachers, we became the forerunners of the, to educate doctors about the use of morphine, that there was such a thing as Roxanol that can be given in 1 20th of a teaspoon dose so the person doesn't have to swallow something and it can be magic for the respiratory system or their pain. So we were, giving education about stuff, but we were always fighting cultural attitudes. So in my experience, many people from Poland or Russia had the staunchest negative mm. thoughts about the use of morphine. So it became very important for us to learn how to educate them. And that's the reason that I made it so important in the book, because you never know who you're gonna find and one of the biggest things for acute care nurses to know is doctors in ERs give too much too soon. And that's why people end up with what they call allergic responses. A hallucination or an itchiness is not, a, is not a, um, an allergy to morphine. The only real allergy is anaphylaxis. So we have to, we have a responsibility and we, the, the joy of being a hospice nurse like, where do we get our job satisfaction? If we do a good job teaching, the family has an easy job following our teaching, treating their family member the way we taught. The symptoms are relieved, they're managed, and the person has a peaceful death. Our job satisfaction comes from knowing we taught them so well. We have to let the family know, no, 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 we're not there 24-7 for you. We're not doing this for we can't. There aren't enough of us. So... When I tell them I'm writing this down and you can call me to get repeats of this information. Don't, I know that you're not going to remember it all. I want a phone call. The night triage people in the nursing agencies want the phone call. We would rather have be, be interrupted in the middle of the night than have you worry all night long before the next visit. So mm -hmm. we have triage nurses answering the telephones, not just for crisis calls, but for anything so that we can relieve people. So teaching is um, an enormous, well, it's 99% of what a hospice nurse does. Mm -hmm. If you're not comfortable in the home setting, if you're not comfortable teaching and staying there long enough to get the impression that you have taught them well and have they grasped the concepts and the details, if that's not your bag, then this is not your job. I actually have a chapter about why nursing is hospice nursing is so special. And that's part of what I talk about in there. So in the rest of the book, the secrets of navigating end of life care, I'm very careful to identify there's pros and there's cons. The business end has some downside. It's not necessarily a breeze to get into. It's not necessarily a breeze to maintain the clinical care I go into, I have a chapter on 
medication management, which is the general overall view of the fact that we use medication to manage symptoms, and we do follow the rules. We do not use medication to facilitate the death. We use mm-hmm. medication to ease the symptoms that may end up allowing the person to let go and die. I have a chapter that I use as in different clinical scenarios as examples for the trajectory. Why did that person's condition suddenly decline? What was it and what does that require in terms of a change in the medication, a change in the supervisory um, necessity? What's necessary to supervise that patient and treat them? Uh, It might be the moment that you have to order in a, a low air loss bed mattress, bring in some additional help, or in many instances, transfer the person to where they can have the safest most efficient uh, 24-7 care, which would be in a nursing home, a skilled nursing facility. So I like the uh, use of the clinical stories to tell how that can change. And um, I enjoy putting it in that category. The last two chapters are the very, very specifics of what is the what exactly happens in the dying process and what does the family member do with what medications how much, how often, based on the orders. The flexibility is there. I think one of the magical parts of hospice and palliative care nursing are that we've learned how to be aggressive with the use of medication within the regulations of the, knowing the person's symptoms. We will not, we, we can give a 0.5 milligram dose of a liquid morphine and, within, know, and know that if it's going to help decrease their rapid respiratory rate and decrease the anxiety they have about that, it'll happen within 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. So the nurse stays there and watches and counts the breathing. We want to get a person's respiratory rate down to below 28. We've learned that that's the most comfortable rate. So we know that we can increase the dose also because our orders allow for that. You, you, at the home setting, your normal pain medication, four to six hours in the hospice and palliative care setting when we're using morphine or lorazepam for anxiety, we have orders that allow us to change dosages in 15 minutes or an hour. Mm-hmm. We may have to need to get a different medication for somebody who's in a crisis. There are specialized pharmacies who are set up to carry all the hospice medications and they deliver 24 hours a day. You're not going Mm -hmm. to find any of those medications in your ordinary pharmacy because they are compounded specialty things where we try to avoid using an injection. We can use suppositories, we can use gels, and then we can use patches Mm -hmm. that are different than pills or liquids. So the nice thing is that we have developed a program that tries to meet the needs of the patient and the family 24-7. And we may not be able to come back every day, although in the dying process we do. But the normal original, the normal new patient visit rate is two to three days a week mm-hmm. by the nurse, by the CNA. Social worker and chaplain may come once a week, depending on the needs. It may be once a month, depending on the, on the needs. But they're always there and available to talk to. So I've enjoyed writing this. The very last chapter is the whole process from beginning to end. When your doctor says it's time to stop aggressive care, this is how you get into hospice. And then this is what you could expect from the team, the staff, 
the what we call the decline and then the dying process. So there's in each chapter is written independently of the other. It doesn't require so people can skip around to whatever chapter they need right then and there. Exactly. Yeah. So thank you for inviting me to talk about this. I'm very thrilled to have gotten it published uh, in October. And my desire is to get the word out that people can learn about this before they need it. Mm -hmm. And I would like to say that the person who is the editor is a young woman, uh, preteen children. So she would be in her thirties probably. She's a prolific author of fiction books. In the very first time she ran through the book and ed did that first run through for editing, that mm -hmm. weekend she was approached by two different people asking questions about hospice. And because she had read my book, she knew how to answer their questions. That's, so that's amazing. Yeah, that's my point for saying I've written it for the layman because I don't say exactly this medication and exactly that dose. I tell you a medication that will take care of pain. There are alternatives. These I don't even name them all because I don't want to get anybody stuck in a rut. I don't want my book to get disapproved of because I have been too specific. So I speak in generalities that a layman will understand. And this person who had never even experienced hospice with a loved one before has now read a book once and could help others. So she was kind enough to write a, um, a testimonial on the back of the book. Aw, that's and, amazing. Thank you. So yeah, I just, I wrote down in my planner that I have to order your book. I'll order an autographed copy of it um, so I can take a look at it too. Cause I've done hospice nursing, but that hospice nursing is not my jam. So like I, we were, ta we were talking before the show and I'm just like, I'm a fixer. So unless you have a problem, I don't know what else to, what else to do. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, Julie and I, um, I always say that I'm the head and she's the heart. And I'm like, uh, this is a Julia problem. <laughs> like, I don't Ooh. know. Oh, let me, I need to sit and listen. Don't fix yeah, them. They don't need to be fixed. So. So, you know, you're saying something that I just mentioned. Is it your thing? What is your thing? Know yourself mm -hmm. well stick with what you do well. Mm -hmm. But you know, we never, we don't always get to choose our patients when it happens. It's because, you know, I was there ultimately for teaching uh, uh, trachs and ventilators in the home setting. But a lot of times it could be an end of life child. And this would definitely help me because it's mm -hmm. like when you look for a hospice book, it's all this technical, just detailed stuff. And I'm like, I already know how to do yeah, well, you get either the humanistic part. You get the technical detail stuff, or you get the one that says it's such a blissfully spiritually important time of their life, and you've paid twenty bucks for somebody to give mm -hmm. you some lofty feeling. Yeah, opinion. I think this is like a. I don't a do really that. good balance. Thank you. I, in fact, it says here on the back, this is a nuts and bolts book. So I. I want people to be able to use it to refer to it later. And so that's what it is. <laughs> and then folks, if you want to order Barbara's book, you can order a digital copy of it for digital download. Um, is this the site where you can get the autographed copy from Barbara? Yes. You can get okay. the digital or the autographed copy. 
Yeah, and it's just $17.95. So that's actually really inexpensive in comparison to books that I have paid for. I mean, I was actually just dusting all my ventilator books. My ICU handbook alone was like $108. So, I mean, this is a, an excellent like price for what you're getting for nuts and bolts information. And you can just access whatever chapter you need right then and there. You don't have to read it from beginning to end in order to understand it. So that's that's really amazing. And then you also have a website too. Um, tell us a little bit more about, I cannot pronounce that because I am not Hawaiian. My husband probably could say that, but tell us about your website. Thank you. It's called Hana Lokahi. Lok Hana Lokahi means create harmony. And so Hana Lokahi healing.com. So I generated this back about eight years ago before I wrote the book. <laughs> and um, so there's a little mention of the book in there, but this was primarily to explain more about Hawaiian healing and mm -hmm. how valuable it is for your life. And those pictures represent earth, air, fire, and water. So those are the elements that the Hawaiians learned over years and years of practice have Elemental qualities, our whole body has those elemental qualities, primarily one or the other, but we use a combination of those um, elements to do the healings. And the healings can be physical, mental, or spiritual. And the I will, living the Hawaiian elemental way, uh, for instance, if you know you've got a very difficult meeting that you're anticipating, you can give yourself some earth and some water and talk to your body and your mind and your spirit and your energy field about slowing down, making sure you respond rather than react. And those elements can help you get through your day. That's, um, that's why I wrote that up that way. I would like to uh, thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about both being Hawaiian and the value that plays in my life as well as for the hospice work and the healing that I do. We Many Hawaiian healers around the United States um, work from their homes or they work in a setting where they would do a tabletop healing. You're fully clothed. This is energy work, so hands-on, but not a massage. And... Um, if you find somebody who would, if you would like to find somebody who could do that for you, uh, give me a call and I can find people in many states in the, around the nation who do this. And folks, we'll make sure to put the link to her book and the link to Barbara's website um, in the show notes for you. So it'll be available on Apple, iTunes, and all the podcasting platforms as well as social media. So, um, and Barbara's also going to be writing some blog posts for us about hospice. So we'll also make sure to link off to her website and to her book in those as well. So you'll definitely have access to anything that you need. So, well, thank you so much, Barbara. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and tell us about hospice because I think this is a really needed uh, discussion because we've removed death out of the family system, out of the household. It's We've become disconnected from it. So people don't actually know what to do and they get a little shell-shocked when it's happening because they have no prior experience with it. Mm -hmm. um, so this gives them an, a, a good opportunity to prepare themselves for what they're about to see. So thank you so much. And thank you very much for having me, Nicole. It's a pleasure to be a part of American Frontline Nurses. 
And thanks, Barbara. Uh, thank you for the opportunities you're giving me. Oh, anytime. So, all right. Bye, guys. Aloha.